Well, as we begin the message this morning, we're going to be um, we're going to be continuing our series, "See a Victory," and it's week two of that series. And and my goal with this series is many of us are praying and fasting this month. Many of us um, are beginning the year just taking more and more time to focus in on God, more and more time to to listen to Him and what He's speaking beginning to see maybe there's areas that God is calling us to or things that God is desiring to do within our lives. And in all of these circumstances and in, in all of these times, there, we run into moments where we say, we just need to see that see God is victorious. We need to see that God's going God's to do this thing he's calling me to. And, and so my, my theory was, as we're praying and fasting, as we're seeking God, I just wanted to present a series of messages that hopefully would build some faith and build some hope and, and help us to see and understand that, that God is a victorious God and, and that we can, we can trust in him. And so the song that we sang earlier today was the inspiration for this series. We're just going verse by verse through that song and looking at what scripture says where those verses are based off of. Every one of those verses, every one of those words in there is, comes straight out of Scripture. It comes straight from, from God's Word. And, and so many songs are that way. But so many times we, we sing songs and we hear the lyrics from different songs and we, we recognize them to be true or we understand them, but we maybe have never taken time to focus in on where they came from in Scripture, what they mean to us. And, and so we're going to look at verse 2 today of that song, Sea of Victory. If you'd flip to Philippians 2, we're going to read verses 3 through 11, and, and we start to see and begin to understand a little bit of why, why in verse 2 it begins with, there is power in the mighty name of Jesus. It tells us this in, in Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is an example that the name of Jesus has the power to rule. The name of Jesus has the power to rule. That, that Paul here is making this theological argument. He's, he's taking a look at what it was that Christ has done and accomplished and what it is that has given him the authority in our lives and what has given him the authority to rule so that one day every, every person that lived every person that was living and every person that would live would one day bow to Jesus. Paul's making this argument and, and looking at it from the, from the standpoint of, of 
an instruction to us to be like Christ, that, that we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing out of conceit, nothing out of our own self, but we're to be like Christ. And when it tells us about Jesus and what he talks about Jesus is that Jesus came, Jesus saw, Jesus saw the sin of the world, Jesus saw what had happened in the world, God, the Trinity, all of that, they'd seen it all. And the only way to make it right was by Jesus emptying himself of being God, taking on human form, and living life full of temptation, but victory over sin. It wouldn't have worked had God just come down and, and said and lived the life that Jesus lived. Had Jesus stayed God, it would not have worked. It needed to be him laying down his divinity and taking on humanity. It needed to be this way so that sin could be defeated. It couldn't be defeated by a perfect God. It had to be defeated by a perfect man. Jesus Christ. And so as this happens, and as Paul's writing about this, it, it sets the stage as to this is why Jesus has the authority to rule. This is why every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. This is why there is power in his name, because Jesus came and did what none of us could do. Jesus, in the full human form, lived his life. As scripture teaches us in multiple times, he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. But Jesus never sins. Jesus never falls. Jesus, as Paul writes here, humbles himself and becomes obedient to the point of death. Jesus was so willing to lay his life down. Jesus was willing to give it all so that we could find life. The reason Jesus has all authority is because he's overcome all things. And when Paul writes about that every tongue shall confess, and he writes about those who are in the heavens, those who are on the earth, and those who are under the earth, Paul is writing about all of humanity. All the humanity that was, that is, and is to come will bow their knee to Jesus Christ at the end of time. Jesus humbled himself. He put others ahead of himself. And he became obedient. And these are the keys, I think, for us to experience power and experience victory in Christ is to follow that example. The example of humility. The example of placing others ahead of ourselves. And the example of being obedient. Jesus had an interesting encounter. We see it in the Gospels with, with a man called the rich young ruler. And this is an interesting story where, where this young man comes to Jesus and says, tell me what I must do to be saved. I, I give to the poor. I, I do this. I've not, I don't break these laws. I follow you. I'm, I'm doing all these things. And Jesus' command to the rich young ruler in that moment is, take all that you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the scripture tells us that the rich young ruler left full of sorrow that day. He didn't want to obey. He didn't want to humble himself to follow it. 
What's interesting is, and we see, Jesus has the power to rule. He has the power to give us specialized instructions. We have the general moral, ethical instructions we find throughout Scripture. So we, we understand, hey, this, this book teaches us love God, love others. That's how Jesus boiled it down. This book tells us, teaches us how to, how to live morally, how to live ethically, how to, how to do those things. But for every follower of Christ, there are also instructions given that, that maybe don't fall within the scripture, that, that, are, that are specialized instructions to each and every individual, that, that as Jesus in relationship with them says, hey, you live this way, do this thing. You know, for me, I feel that God called me to ministry, that God called me to be a pastor. I personally feel if I were to tomorrow call up the board and just say, hey, I'm resigning, I'm leaving, I'm done, and I were to walk out of ministry, I believe I'd be walking into sin, that God has called me to something, that God has told me to do something, and if I choose not to do it, I'm disobedient. Disobedience is sin. But I don't believe God's called everybody to pastor. I don't believe everybody, God's told everybody to come do what I'm doing. And so it's sin for me to not do it, but not for you to not do it. It depends on what God calls you to, the authority in that moment. So when Jesus tells the rich young ruler, sell everything to the poor, sell everything and give it to the poor, that's not the, that's not the method in which we must be saved. That was the next step of obedience for the rich young ruler, that Jesus had the authority to say, all right, you want to truly follow me, you want to truly be saved, then follow this example. Do this. The same happens in each and every one of our lives, that as we follow Christ, as we know him, as we surrender our life to him, he will give us instructions that we have to make the choice, am I going to humble myself do nothing out of vain conceit, do nothing for myself? Am I going to humble myself and become obedient even to the point of death? Or am I going to choose my own way? It's a choice we all have to make, but we understand as Paul writes in here, Jesus' name has the power to rule. Jesus has the authority to rule. Jesus has the authority to rule in your life and my life because he came and he overcame. We, as followers of Christ, have to make a decision. We want to live a victorious Christian life. Are we going to humble ourselves and be obedient to what he instructs us to do, teaches us to do, calls us to do? Or are we going to go the opposite direction and make excuse? or give reasons why, or flat out disobey. If you want to live a life of victory, obedience is the key to that path. We see other reasons why Jesus' name has power if you flip back to Mark chapter 16. The very end of Mark, Jesus is speaking. This is the passage we call the Great Commission. It tells us this, and, and he said to them, go into all the world, and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. 
They will speak new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. We see here a, a small list of, of things that the name of Jesus has the power to do. We see that the name of Jesus has the power to cast out demons. Now here in the United States, the demonic realm, the spiritual forces of this world aren't necessarily as visible as they are in other places of the world. It doesn't mean they're not present. It just means here we, we for whatever reason, we can, we can, we're not necessarily as aware of the demonic realm as people are in other places. Demonic forces still take place. There are still demons. We see it all throughout Jesus' ministry. We see Jesus instructing his disciples about casting out demons. We hear Jesus as he's about to ascend into heaven. His final message, in my name is the power to cast out demons. That would lead me to believe that demonic activity didn't stop when Jesus ascended into heaven. Why would we need that power if that stopped back then? Demonic activity happened. It's a part of this world, and we don't always see it or observe it, in part because of our own culture. We live in a culture that is a bit blind to it, a culture that denies it, and a culture that labels it other things. But you travel overseas, especially if you travel to Latin America. I've had the privilege of going um, to a couple of different countries that um, you understand that the demonic realm is very real. That it, that it is not, that it isn't just a joke and it isn't just the myth of scripture, but that the demonic realm is incredibly real. And when you go into a situation and, and you experience seeing a person who has demons, you begin to understand the need for the power of Jesus' name. There's even moments where about all you can say is the name of Jesus. Because you feel the darkness and you understand you understand this, is, this isn't Spring Valley, Minnesota anymore. The demonic realm is real. There are forces of darkness at play in this world. And the name of Jesus has the power to cast out demons. The name of Jesus has, has the power, and I'm going to call it to create or innovate. Here it said to speak in new tongues, but the idea of Holy Spirit is this equipping power that comes upon us, this equipping power to create, to innovate. The idea of speaking in new tongues, that is a creation. That's God creating something new within you. This idea of what Jesus is kind of getting at here is in my name there's power to come up with new ways of the kingdom, to reach new people, to do new things. There is a power within that to speak in new tongues. The point of speaking in new tongues, the point of tongues in scripture and why it's spoken is so that the, those who don't know God would see God and understand that he's real. There is a newness that comes of that. The powerful name of Jesus has the power to create and innovate. That for each and every one of us as we follow him, that name that we bow our life to, that name that we surrender to, as we do so, he gives us 
new ways to do things to serve him, new ways to follow him, new ways to reach more people for him. The name of Jesus has the power to protect. Jesus said they'll pick up deadly snakes and won't be harmed. They'll drink poison and won't fall ill. And some people have taken that to an extreme and practiced those sort of things. But I look at that as Jesus speaking to the extreme of of under his protection. Things that would harm you won't. Things that were meant for evil won't, won't hurt you, won't harm you. That there is a power, there is a protection in the, under the name of Jesus Christ. Which is good when you consider the first thing he said, that his name has power over the demons. Understanding that their plan, their goal, their purpose is to harm. And we, but we experience protection under Jesus' name. That there is a protection that's there. And finally, we see, we see the power to heal power to heal the sick understanding that in the power of Jesus' name we can as scripture teaches us in other places lay hands on the sick and they'll be made well we can pray over people and expect healings to occur and to take place we can take moments and take time to to expect that, that our God has the power to make things right including those who are afflicted by demons including those who, those who need protection and including those who, who need healing. And I can speak to different moments in my own life and I can tell stories from my own life where I've experienced firsthand the protection of Jesus in his name. Where you pray those prayers and about the only thing you can spit out of your mouth is Jesus. Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Because there's no other pray to, prayer to pray in that moment. It's, it's, life is coming at you so fast. There's power, there's protection, there's healing, there's hope in the name of Jesus. This song, Sea of Victory, it goes on to say, Every war he wages, he will win. And I absolutely love the imagery that we see in the book of Revelation. If you go to chapter 19 verses 11 through 16 there's a pretty some pretty powerful imagery that is of the second coming of Christ this is this is at the end of time this is at this is at the antichrist has risen to power this is at the at the very end of everything the battle of armageddon everything is coming to a head and we see what what john writes what the what he's seen in this vision then i saw heaven open And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Which we see and understand, John who wrote the book of John, we read this passage last week. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, 
and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We see this great imagery of a warrior coming to battle. We understand that the name of Jesus provides victory. It says that there's a sword that comes from his mouth. Now, I, I doubt this is a literal sword. I, I would take this as what Scripture teaches us, that God's word is the, is the sword of the Spirit. The same, way that, the same way that Jesus overcame temptation in the desert, when Satan came and tempted him three times, Jesus' way of overcoming temptation was to say, it is written in God's word, this. And I would imagine the way that Jesus overcomes the Antichrist, the beast, whatever you want to call it, is through the word of God coming out of his mouth. The word of God is the sword of our life. The name of Jesus provides victory, but we have to understand how to experience victory. And it comes in part by understanding the word of God and knowing what the sword of God has to say. I would encourage you, we're early on in the year. Use the Bible app. Go buy, go to, the, go to Goodwill and find a Bible in a year. Go do something but find a way to get in and into this book each and every day, beginning to learn it, beginning to memorize it, beginning to understand it, so that when life comes at you full force, when life is difficult, when life is hard, your mind begins to think scripture. It's not that we just read it, it's not that we just know what's in there, but when we are faced with confrontation, when we are faced with 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 the real life stuff coming at us 100 miles an hour, our mind begins to think what the God's word says. That we begin to just live what God's word says. And we look at it and we just say, there's power in the name of Jesus and I'm, I'm under his protection. We understand in, in trials and in hard times that, that there's power in, in his name so I'm just gonna stand on that. We began to just think what scripture says. We begin to live that out. That's the sword. That's how we see victory. It's the tool for us as followers of Christ, but so often we set it aside and just let it collect dust. All of scripture, and why I wanted to point out what it says here in Revelation, all of scripture points to eternity. From the beginning of time, from the first sin of Adam and Eve all the way to the very end, to this moment, all of Scripture points to eternity. That everything that God has done has been to see his people find relationship with him and have relationship with him for eternity. Everything points to it. We serve a God that has already claimed victory. Um, there's a man that I deeply admire named Richard Hammer. And he is, he is the chief legal counsel for the Assemblies of God. He is brilliant. He is, he's a brilliant attorney. He is a brilliant scholar, theologian. He, is, he also has some science and engineering degrees. He's brilliant. I mean, the guy is so smart. A few years ago, I heard, I heard about him, and I, and I do know this to be true, 
he, um, he bought a boat and um, it had a diesel engine. And he didn't know anything about diesel engines. He thought, well, I want to make sure I can maintain my boat properly. So he, in, on top of all that he does, employment-wise, he went and took night classes to get his diesel mechanics license. And so he is now a licensed and certified diesel mechanic. Brilliant mind. And I heard him say in an interview recently, whenever he teaches Sunday school at his church, he keeps in his pocket just a little plastic worm. Just this little worm. And it's a reminder for him that with as much as he knows, with as much as he understands, with how, how much he has figured out about Scripture and how much he has figured out about God, compared to the wisdom of the Lord, he is the worm just like we, to us, compared to us. All of our understanding, all of our wisdom, all of our knowledge is so great and so vast for the worm. A worm couldn't comprehend an ounce of what you know. And he reminds himself, I might know all of this stuff, but I'm just a worm. I'm just scratching the surface of all that God Jesus provides victory. I think if we want to experience the victory that Jesus provides, we have to be like him. And it becomes being that worm, humbling ourselves, understanding, I don't know it all. I don't see it all. What's amazing about the victory that Jesus won when he died on the cross and rose again is we as humans look so linear. We see, okay, Adam and Eve were created here and then some, you know, from human history that we can tell in scripture some 4,000 years later, Jesus comes and 2,000 years later, here we are. And so we understand the known period of human history. We understand that 6,000 years but what's amazing is when Jesus died that day 2,000 years ago, he secured victory for all time. Because God isn't linear. It didn't happen here and happen here. It all happened. We're just worms trying to understand the complexities of God. But when Jesus died for your sin, and died for my sin, and died for the sin of the high priest that put him on the cross, and the soldiers that gambled for his clothing, and the disciples that stood there while his mother wept, and the sins of David, and Elijah, and Saul, and the evil kings of the Old Testament, and the Babylonians, and the Persians. When Jesus died on the cross that day, he died to cover all sin, all time, for those who would believe in him, who would know him. He won the victory that day. It has already happened because he humbled himself and he was obedient. We want to experience victory. We have to be like Christ. The verse in the song continues, I'm not backing down from any giant because I know how this story ends. We all know the story that he's singing about. It's in 1 Samuel 17. 
And it's a story of David and Goliath. And can I tell you, don't we all just love a David and Goliath story? Fun. It's fun to watch just an underdog come back and win. And we see in scripture in, in this story that that there's this big, mean, nasty giant, and he's cursing Israel, and he's cursing the people, and he's cursing God, and he's cursing everybody, and nobody's willing to fight him until this young shepherd boy shows up with a slingshot and some stones. And he goes out there, and David beats Goliath. We love a David and Goliath story. I, you all know me. I love sports. I, I love watching sports. I love when... I love when David beats Goliath in sports. I was thrilled last night watching the game last night, the Titans and the Ravens, and going, how is the best team in the NFL losing? It was amazing to see. Even last week, for, the, for you Viking fans, you were David last week, and you beat Goliath. The first one, the second Goliath, not as much. But... But it's amazing. You just see all those stories inspire us because they give us little guys hope. You, you go and you walk, look back and, and you, you see boxers that should have never won the fight. You see nations that have pushed back greater enemies that should have never won. These things inspire us. And all ties back to the story, David and Goliath, and this understanding of I'm not backing down from any giant because I know how the story ends. I know that God is going to bring victory. You know what's amazing is, is if you know the outcome, it changes your perception. Or if you know you've got nothing left to lose, it changes your perception. David and Goliath's story is so great because David had nothing to lose. Nobody else would go fight the giant. And if David got trounced, David got trounced. I mean, he had his life to lose, but he had nothing to lose by, in terms of the kingdom and the nation and all that. They were already getting beat. It's amazing how we live when we live in such a way that says, I've got nothing to lose. I can look at the giant and realize it can't defeat me. It can't beat me. It can't knock me down. It can't separate me. It can't harm me. That's what I love about the lines that we learned about last week and that, that passage from Isaiah, that no weapon formed against you will prosper is this eternal promise that nothing will separate you from God. That no weapon of the enemy, no demonic attack, no nothing of darkness will separate you from God unless you choose to separate yourself. That it can't beat you. So you don't have anything to lose. The giants of your life, the things you're praying for this month, and you're saying, man, I, I'm believing God is going to do this thing in my family this year. I believe God's going to transform my marriage. I believe God's going to transform my kids. I believe God's going to, God's going to help us in, in our finances, or God's going to help us as we, as we try to reach our neighbors, or God's going to help us as we, as we launch a new business, or whatever it is that God is birthing in your heart, that giant in your path isn't insurmountable. It isn't, it isn't undefeatable. It isn't so big that God can't bring victory. The name of Jesus provides confidence. 
provides this confidence that you can stand and look up to the giant and go, I know how this story ends. As you fast and as you pray, as you experience more and more of the Lord, you know how the story ends. There's victory. We don't have to live defeated. And it's why if, if we want to defeat the giant, we got to be like that of Jesus. Be like that of David in that moment. Humble. David in that moment with the songwriter singing about David just went up and just said, hey, if nobody else is going to do something, I'll try. I'll do it. Let me just get my slingshot. It was a humility. He put the nation ahead of himself. I would imagine in, the, in his internal moment, in his internal thought, in his internal here inside, he probably felt a little nervous he probably wondered, what am I doing? As he walked closer to Goliath and heard Goliath begin to mock him, there's probably a little voice in his head that said, you should just turn around. But he had the humility to put the entire nation ahead of himself. And he was obedient to do what the Lord had commanded him to do. You want to defeat the giants in your life? You want to find victory over the things in your life that just seem insurmountable, you can never get past, you can never get over? Humble yourself. Put others first. Don't think of yourself higher than you should. Accept help. Accept people to come alongside of you. Humble yourself. And then be obedient. Do what you're told. Do what you're instructed. Do what God leads you to do. Philippians 4.13. Fantastic little verse towards the end of Philippians. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You can do all things. I can get our worship team to come back here. Appreciate it. If you humble yourself, and if you're obedient to what God is calling you to do, he'll give you strength to do all things. I don't know how it works exactly, because I am a worm. I don't know how it all works. I don't know how God truly gives us the strength to do things. I don't know how God truly gives us the strength to defeat the giants in our life. I don't know how God gives us the strength to step out to do what we never thought we could. I don't fully understand it, but I know it's possible. And I know it happens. That nothing you face is too hard. Nothing you're facing is too difficult. Nothing that is gonna happen tomorrow morning is a surprise to God. And nothing that happens tomorrow morning is too big to God. It changes the perception of Monday morning changes what we face at the end of the day you're still his at the end of the day you're still known by him and loved by him at the end of the day 
he's still working on a relationship with you so you experience that victory in eternity, that life with him. So you want to see victory in your life? Bow your life to the mighty name of Jesus. Because if you keep bowing to sin or to fear, if you keep elevating yourself, if, if you keep disregarding or disobeying what God has taught you or told you, you will continue to chase a victory that will never come. But if you humble yourself, if you bow your life to him, you're going to see victory that you could have never imagined. I don't know fully how it works, but I know it does. I've seen it time and time again. Would you stand with me? We're going to take a moment to just respond just in a moment of worship. But if you need victory in your life, now is the time. Cry out to God. He knows what you need. Don't hold back. Don't hesitate. Let's, let's sing together.
what I've managed to learn in the brief 34 years that I've lived is um, that following Jesus, living a victorious Christian life is simple. You pray, you seek God, read scripture, simple. Do what scripture says. But what I've learned is it's not easy. So simple to go, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I just don't want to do it. That's why Paul has this whole thing, I think in the book of Romans, where he talks about, why do I do the thing that I don't want to do? And I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm constantly afflicted. I'm constantly doing what I shouldn't be doing. Because following Christ, living this Christian life, it's simple. It's seldom easy. It's just the truth. But I believe we serve a God that desires to strengthen us, to help us. And I believe that if we do those simple things well, we create habits of doing those simple things. Habits of prayer, habits of fasting, habits of reading scripture, habits of of seeking counsel from other wise people, habits of obeying, the habit of doing what God tells you to do. That it's going to be hard, but over time it will get easier. Over time it becomes normal. Over time you get used to it. It's like working out. It's like running. It's like any exercise of life. January is the worst month to work out in, right? You're out of shape. You haven't worked out since last January. It's tough. But if you stick with it, stick with that habit, it gets easier. Let me just tell you, no matter where you're at in your journey with Christ, it gets easier. But it's still never easy. And so let me just pray for you as we go that over this week you would just be clothed with the divine strength, the power of Jesus' name. Because even though it's simple, it just isn't easy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is power in your name. Lord, I just pray that you would help us as we go whatever we face when we leave this parking lot, whatever we face at home, at work, in school, wherever we're at. Lord, you know the giants in our path. You know the victories that we need to experience. Lord, you know. God, I ask that you would help each and every one of us to do the simple things. To do the simple things right. to build the habits of following you. So that when the difficulties come, when the dangers happen, when, when life gets turned upside down, our response is to think what your word says. Our response is to act how you've called us to act. It's 
not easy. So Lord, would you give us strength? Lord, as your word says, as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. Lord, as we go this week, would you meet us where we're at and draw us nearer to you? In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, there'll be a prayer team available for you. Please don't forget to sign up for connect groups.